0: When a person is able to forget what's
1: painful in their life, let's take an unbeliever who forgets and a believer who forgets. The unbeliever says, well, it was natural with the passing of time. You know, I forgot time heals everything. That's what the unbeliever would say. But the believer doesn't say that. The believer says the words of Joseph here. God made me to forget You know, let's look at success in life. We'll take the unbeliever, and we'll take the believer. So the unbeliever says, you know, it was hard work that made me successful, or it was luck. I was just in the right place at the right time, right? But not the believer. The believer says, God caused me to be fruitful. So what's this difference between the unbeliever and between the believer? The language of the believer is God made me to forget and God caused me to be fruitful. That's what it means to line up with Proverbs 3.5. Proverbs 3.5, which says, "'Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, "'lean not unto thine own understanding. "'In all thy ways acknowledge him, "'and he shall direct thy paths.'" This is the meaning here in Philippians 4.6 when it says, "'Be careful, be anxious for nothing.'" But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. But then we see this fuller explanation in the naming of of his son behind the name Ephraim, when he says, not just he didn't say God caused me to be fruitful, but he said God caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. It was in the land of my affliction. You know, affliction, that's the Hebrew word oni, that that was used to describe the Jewish people later on when the Egyptians were really coming down hard of them. The Egyptians had their final solution, which they were trying to exterminate them through working them to death and killing all the male babies that were born. And it says in Exodus 3, 7, Exodus 3, 7, I have seen the affliction. I've seen the Oni, the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt. And that's how Joseph describes... Egypt for himself. Now we have to just kind of pause a little bit here and think about when did he say this? When did he say this? You know, he had this is his second son. It's probably a couple of years after he's been in this position, a position of what? He's the ruler overall of Egypt. He's been this a ruler over all of Egypt for a couple of years at least. He lives in the palace. He lives in the palace. He had servants as many as he wanted, waiting on his every need. Whatever food he wanted, they would make it for him. Whatever pleasures, whatever comforts the most powerful nation in the world could give him, he could have. But he calls this state being in the land of his affliction, in the land of his affliction. Why would Joseph call Egypt that he ruled over and that Egypt that served him, why would he call that the land of his affliction? You know, if we won the lottery and we had more money than we could ever spend in our lifetime, and if we lived in the most luxurious estate in Rancho Santa Fe and had a a big yacht down in San Diego Yacht Club and anything we could want, why should we join Joseph and call our situation the land of our affliction? Because Sodom was also a nice place. Sodom was a very nice place. It says it was well watered. In other words, it was very green It was beautiful, but what I say, how did Lot feel when he was living in Sodom? It says for us in 2 Peter 2.8, 2 Peter 2.8, it says that that righteous man, that's referring to Lot, dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, seeing and hearing, seeing and hearing is what it says, in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. I mean, Lot felt that he was living in the land of his affliction from what he saw and what he heard. And his soul was vexed, was troubled. And when Joseph saw all the sin of Egypt, that afflicted his soul, his soul was afflicted. He saw all of the idolatry in Egypt and that afflicted his soul. He saw the sexual immorality that afflicted his soul. And when we see all the horrible sins around us, which is now risen to a level of open displays of horrible sexual perversions that afflicts our souls. And though we might be successful in this world, maybe the world's been good to us, we, can, we say with Joseph, verse 52, God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. I mean, the land of Israel today, it's a beautiful land. And God told Ezekiel, go into Jerusalem, and be on the lookout for men who do two things. He said, look for the men that cry and sigh, that cry and sigh. And he said, put a mark on their foreheads. That's what he said in Ezekiel 9.4, Ezekiel 9.4. The Lord said unto him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. I mean, these are God's people. Those are God's people. They're the ones that see all the sin, they sigh and they cry. And they say, we're living in a land of our affliction, our soul affliction. David called it a grief. A grief, he said in Psalm 119, 158. Psalm one nineteen one fifty eight. I beheld the transgressors and was grieved because they kept not thy word. He wept, David wept over the transgressors when he said in Psalm 119, 136, 119, 136, rivers of water ran down mine eyes because they keep not thy law. And the great king of Israel, King David, would, he would join himself with Joseph and say, I'm in the land of my soul affliction. And he had everything King David did. And that's why, the wealthy Abraham, the wealthy Abraham. Not you, Abraham, another Abraham. A wealthy Abraham that could have afforded to build several houses in the land. He chose to live in a tent. He lived in a tent because it says in Hebrews 11.9, Hebrews 11.9, by faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of the same promise. For he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. See, Abraham looked at the people around him, as he looked at Sodom, and he said, I'm living in the land of my soul affliction. And so I'm gonna live in a tent, and I'm just gonna go from place to place, and I'm not gonna put down any stakes of a house. You know, we should all wear these on our lapel. We should all wear a tent or uh, a little tent insignia. Because it's a statement. It's a statement that it, of Hebrews 13, 14. Hebrews 13, 14. Here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. And thank the Lord that he has not left us here in the land of our affliction with an empty hope of going to heaven. Because he said in John fourteen two. John 14, 2, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. What a wonderful title. Four words, a place for you. A place for you. A place where when we look at the sin around us in the world, we know that we don't belong here. We don't belong here. So the Lord says, I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you because it's the land of, the, of our soul affliction. And so therefore, the Lord says, wait, watch, wait, hope. He says in Luke twelve thirty five. Luke twelve thirty five. let your loins be girded about, in other words, be ready to go, and your lights burning, and you yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding. Then when he cometh and knocketh, they may open up to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. For verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. So the story is told of a pastor in England, and he was visiting a retirement home, and there was this old man sitting by the fireplace there, and he was tapping his foot nervously. And so the pastor went up to him and said, what are you doing, sir? And the man replied, waiting, sir, (laughs) waiting. I'm waiting for my Lord to return for me. And that's the way we should be. Now, we read what happened in joseph in verse 53 the seven years of plenteousness that was in the land of egypt were ended and the seven years of dearth began to come according as joseph had said now the years of plenty the the good times they had ended and now starts the years of famine the bad times so and when god speaks this word the good time stop the bad times start And man has no defense. Man has no defense. This famine, when famines come to this area, it's terrible. We read 2 Kings 6.28, when famine came to Israel, that it says, the king said unto this woman, said unto her, what aileth thee? And she answered and said, this woman said to me, give thy son that we may eat him today. Can you imagine? And we will eat my son tomorrow. And boiled my son, and we did eat him and so forth, the, the, the ugly details continue. But this is a time when it wasn't safe to be a child because you were a meal if you were a child, kidnapped and boiled. And so this is, this is, this is terrible what happens to the famine. So they begun to come and, 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 and when the years began, it says, according as Joseph had said, according as Joseph had said, you know, I'm amazed at how people that I talk to, when I tell them what the Lord says about heaven and hell, they treat God's warnings like they couldn't care less. Like it's a big yawn for them. It's got about this much interest and then what else is new? But it's not the response of people that determines whether or not we're gonna tell them what God says about sin, what he says about judgment, what he says about salvation, but but God said this And because we know the day is coming when sin is gonna be judged, and when salvation from judgment of sin is gonna happen through the Lord Jesus, and that will be the time when verse 54 comes, according as the Lord had said. According as the Lord had said. So when this phrase is here, according as Joseph had said, we see that we have to bring the gospel to the lost because the day is coming when it is gonna be too late and when it's all gonna be according as the Lord had said what does he say, he says Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Now in Joseph's case, if anyone doubted whether Joseph was telling the truth or not, whether he was a true prophet, this year's of famine vindicated him. It showed that it was true. And the phrase reminds us, according as the Lord has said, that not one word of what the Lord has said is gonna fall to the ground. Not one word, as it says, in 1 Kings 8.56, 1 Kings 8.56, blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise which he promised by the hand of Moses' his servant. So now we see what happened in verse 55. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. So the famine has started now, and now we read that all the land of Egypt was famished. And they cried to Pharaoh for bread. Now, this is something amazing here. This word about all, all the land of Egypt was, fam- was damaged. You remember how much Joseph took up from the people to put away in store for the famine? Remember the amount? It was one-fifth. One-fifth. It was one-fifth of the harvest that he took to store for the people. What does that mean? If every year he takes one-fifth for the people, that means that they can live on one-fifth. Well, they have five-fifths. You know, a whole is five-fifths. So he takes one-fifth, right? And that leaves four. You know, so they got four-fifths left. Now, if one-fifth they can live on during the famine, well, one-fifth they can live on now. So that leaves three, right? <laughs> okay, so three-fifths are left over. So in other words, every family had three-fifths left over, but when it says in verse 55 that all the land of Egypt Famished. What's that mean? That means that no one bothered to take one more fifth (laughs) out of the three, right? They didn't take one more fifth out of the three to put away. Doesn't that strike you as strange? Doesn't that strike you as strange? Now, I want you to think about this a little bit. Why do you suppose that no one in Egypt put away in store personally From the three-fifths that they had left over during the years of plenty, why didn't they put that away for the years of famine? Okay, they were not taking seriously what Joseph said. In other words, they didn't really believe him, right? Okay, that's a good one. Okay, now, let's think about that a little bit. Joseph was the man For Egypt. He was the star. He was the center of attraction. The spotlight was on Joseph. Joseph was very entertaining to them. I mean, here he was, you know, all the drama just spread around Egypt. You can imagine, oh, you should have seen the magicians and the wise men, and they did everything. And then, you know, and then comes Joseph, and he accurately interprets the dreams of Pharaoh. And then he got a sudden rise to power, and now he's building storehouses, he's putting up the way the food, but deep down in their hearts, there really wasn't a belief in what he was saying. But all of Egypt, they really enjoyed Joseph's, they enjoyed his preaching, they really enjoyed seeing Joseph ride in the royal chariot and see him wear the fine linen and the golden chain, but all of Egypt, they really enjoyed to see Joseph and everything, but, and they bowed the knee when he came. They all yelled out, bow the knee, and they bowed the knee. They really loved Joseph. They loved to hear him preach on prophecy on the late great Egypt. He <laughs> could write a book, the late, late great planet Egypt. You know? He was very interesting. He was very interesting for all of Egypt. But all of Egypt really did not believe Joseph. But by their outward interest in Joseph, it looked like they believed Joseph. But inwardly, no one really believed him in Egypt. And if you ask them, If you ask them, all of the Egyptians would say, of course we believe Joseph. But deep down, they really didn't because nobody put away anything for their personal store because no one laid up any food for the coming famine that he was preaching about, which showed that if the Egyptians really did believe Joseph, that they would have laid up food out of the three-fifths that they had left over. And the fact that none of the Egyptians bothered to take any of the three-fifths left over and store it up in the future, they had three times what they needed, but that shows that deep down they really didn't believe him. They didn't believe this about the coming famine. And when you see this about Joseph and the Egyptians and how they got caught with nothing laid up because they really didn't believe during the time, that's like we see many people today they're just like those Egyptians. They really enjoy good gospel preaching. Oh, they enjoy it, but really deep down, they don't really believe it. I mean, just like all the Egyptians, many people today really enjoy, they enjoy going to church, they enjoy watching Christian television, they enjoy listening to Christian radio, they enjoy listening to friendship with God. Maybe they do, I don't know. But deep down, they don't really believe it. Oh, they like the stories. They like the jokes. Someone told me recently, I really like your jokes. <laughs> so, but I'm not saying this about you. <laughs> but, anyway, but deep down, they really don't believe that there's a hell to avoid. Because they haven't made personally, deep down, where it can't be seen, they haven't really made provisions to avoid hell. They outwardly, they look forward to these evangelical crusades. Oh, they, when they come to town, they're so excited. They sit in the front row there they want to take in all the music they want to listen to all the messages they love the excitement of the crusades and they listen intently to the messages but deep down they don't really believe because just as the egyptians did not lay up that grain for the coming famine they've not really made the lord jesus the god of their lives the god of their lives they enjoy the Crusades, they enjoy the Christian cruises to Alaska with all the music, with all the preaching, with all the fellowship. To them, being around Christians is just so pleasant. But deep down, they really don't believe the Christian message. I mean, they love to go to Israel with a good Bible teacher, and they, but they really don't believe the Bible teacher. To them, the Bible teacher is, is just is interesting to listen to but they just don't believe it. And they they love to go to the Bible studies. They, They know the Bible, but they really don't believe the Bible. To them, the Bible is just a very interesting book. And that's as far as it goes with the book. It's just very interesting. The stronger the preaching, the more they love it. They'll yell out, amen, preach it, brother. But just like the Egyptians, who appeared outwardly to believe Joseph, they bowed the knee when he came but inwardly, they were not bowing the heart. They were not bowing the heart. They were not bowing the mind, just the knee. And because they weren't personally laying up any food for the famine that Joseph was telling them, was preaching about, inwardly, they really didn't believe Joseph. And just like the Egyptians who outwardly bowed the knee, people outwardly believed the Lord Jesus. You know, they prayed the sinner's prayer, they have joined, they're faithfully attending the local church but inwardly, there's no bowing of the heart. Inwardly, they're not really trusting in the blood, only the blood of the Lord Jesus for acceptance, for acceptance by God and entrance into heaven. They really didn't lay up any grain for the future famine. I mean, inwardly, they're not passing every decision in their life through the filter or through the scrutiny of the Acts 9-6 Acts 9-6 filter, Acts 9-6 scrutiny, which simply says, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That's like a scrutiny. That's like a filter for all the decisions in life. They're not doing that. And for all the Egyptians who outwardly appeared to believe Joseph, but really didn't, all their deep unbelief became exposed when the famine started. When the famine started, and if no one really knew if the Egyptians, if this Egyptian family or that Egyptian family or all the Egyptians, if no one really knew, well, maybe they got a secret stash because they don't want to get robbed. Maybe they really did believe them. When the famine came, it exposed it all. It exposed it all. When it says in verse 52, all the land of Egypt was famished. And that's when it became exposed that Egypt really didn't take to heart and believe his message. And then it was too late. It was too late to go back and say, oh, I want to go back and collect grain. That's finished. That opportunity is gone. It's passed. Just like when every person dies and they're ushered forward to their personal judgment, as we saw in Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto men once to die, but after that the judgment. That's when it all be exposed that they really didn't know the Lord as their personal God before they had passed all their decisions of life through the Acts nine six Lord what will Thou have me to do filter, and it's so expressed when the Lord said in Matthew seven twenty two Matthew seven twenty two when He says we read all the land of Egypt was famished He said in Matthew seven twenty two many all the land many He says will come to me will say to me in that day Lord Lord Have not we prophesied in thy name? In thy name have cast out devils? In thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity.
0: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org, Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Do you believe God created the earth? Do you believe God created you in his image? Then come celebrate Museum Day at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California on Saturday, November 4th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Museum Day is a Christian family festival event with life-size dinosaurs, games, rides, contest prizes, fair food, vendor booths, petting zoos, live animal encounters, and super science experiments for kids, along with world-renowned speakers Tom Cantor, Eric Hoven, David Reeves, Russ Miller, Kevin Conover, Dr. John Baumgardner, and more. Free admission to the museum and all speaking engagements for you and your family and entire church family are free. The Creation and Earth History Museum is located off of Highway 67 and Woodside Avenue in Santee next to the Santee Drive-In. So bring your family and friends on Saturday, November 4th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. and strengthen your faith at Museum Day. For more information, call us at 619-599-1104 or creationsd.org. CreationSD.org.